Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. England are into the final of a major tournament for the first time since 1966. This is not a drill, repeat, this is not a drill. But is 55 years of hurt coming to an end or are Italy about to extend it? I'm Dan Burke and to discuss the Euro 2020 semi-finals and look ahead to the final, I'm joined by Francesco Portio. Hello, ciao. Luis Ambrose. Hello. And Manu Dominguez. Hi everyone, hi Dan. Hello. So before we start, I just wanted to ask you, um, first of all, Fra, uh, what, mm. do you, what do you feel when you hear English people saying it's coming home? Because there's been a bit of debate about this in, in the UK recently. Does it come across as arrogance to you? It a bit, it's a bit arrogant, I think, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, also because if I see the palmares of the Euros and uh, also the World Cups, doesn't look like home means trophies. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what you mean by home. And I, I stay with Michael in this case when he said, what do you mean by that? Because you never won a, a Euro, right? So, But a part of that, I understand. So it's a bit of all this... Uh, uh, aura uh, around uh, the English uh, national team, uh, like it happened with the with the World Cup, uh, so it makes sense and uh, it's fine. But I I think it's a bit arrogant, to be honest. Is that the same in Spain, Manu? Do, do people are people disgusted at the arrogant English mentality? <laughs> I didn't wow. say that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I never asked myself about that, but I mean, to be honest, the way that I understand it is, you know, like. Actually, the football was created by the English people, so it's like kind of, okay, we created the football, so let us bring the tournament back home. So, I mean, this is how I understand. I don't know, like, the other people in Spain. Maybe I'm wrong, but it was, like, the way that I, that I got it. And then with the song, of course. I mean, I think it's, it's nice and it's, it's funny. I mean, I don't, I don't see it as an Yeah, they created, but we made it better, let's say. <laughs> It's a, it's a great song, yeah. I, t- I certainly agree with that. Lewis, do you think we have a right to disc- uh, call ourselves the home of football? Uh, yes, maybe not the home of like modern football, but I guess the the very first iteration of the sport. And I think yeah, what Manu said really, I think a lot of the arrogance is a bit of a misunderstanding of uh, maybe a bit of English culture and poking fun at yourself and the the sort of the despair that goes along with the song. And yeah, the fact it released in '96 because England were hosting the the Euros, and yeah, it was. Football was coming home, yeah, so to speak. So I think that that is definitely more the meaning of the song, and maybe that's been lost in translation a little bit along the way. Yeah, that's it. The song, if you if you listen to the lyrics, it's about all England's failures over the years, isn't it? So there is there is a bit of triumphalism there, but there is also a lot of sort of irony and sarcasm and self deprecation about it. Why do we is... not get songs anymore? There, there used to be a song for every tournament. Why they does did, it not yeah. happen anymore? Yeah, they probably probably still exist, but they're just so low key nowadays with the way that the music chart system works that nobody nobody hears about them anymore. It's a shame. Yeah, there was a good article in The Athletic the other day, actually, that was saying that they um, they were going to have Simply Red originally as the um, theme tune to Euro 96, but they had to change it because it wasn't very, a very good song, basically. And they got the... <laughs> they were like, get us the person who does the does the music for Goal of the Month or Match of the Day to write a song. So they got the Lightning Seeds and Biddy Lynn Skinner and the rest is history. So, uh, yeah, well, before we uh, before we talk about the the final on Sunday we've got two matches to look back on and we'll uh, we'll start with the first semi-final which took place on Tuesday night uh, ended with Italy beating Spain on penalties at Wembley uh, Fra talk me through your emotions during this game and what it means to Italy to reach this final 
Uh, I can tell you that today is the first day I have my voice back. So I think that tells you a bit of how my night was. Uh, I mean, emotions through the game, I was nervous, nervous, nervous. And I was desperate because I had, honestly, Italy didn't play well. Spain was way better, in my opinion. Even if, I mean, they had uh, ball possession was like 70-30 at the end. So uh, that's classic for Spain, but uh, uh, Italy wasn't performing as well as the other games. Uh, so I was totally negative at, at one point because I said to myself, if we don't win this uh in the in the 90 minutes there is no way we are going to win it in the extra time because they they were destroyed the players Chiesa couldn't walk not even run he couldn't even walk at one point <laughs> and uh and that penalties to be honest i was expecting spain to go through because uh they they the technique they have i considered better than us so i was totally ex- unexpected that and uh uh, I'm glad, of course, that we are in the final. I celebrated like never before, probably. But um, during the game, it was completely, completely different, my feelings. And uh, what it means to Italy to reach the final, I think it means a lot. It means a lot because uh, I want to remember uh, you all and who is listening to this, that this is basically the same group of people, of guys that didn't, didn't make it to the World Cup in 2018. Uh, when you when you think about that team, you think that they were completely different, but it's not. The defense is the same. Uh, the, the midfield is basically the same. Yes, there is Chiesa, but uh, there, there is Barella now, but there was the Rossi back in the time. So it's not like a completely different team. And what is Mancini, I think, uh, what he did the best is that he uh, created an atmosphere and uh, he told the players they could do something that they didn't really believe they could because these guys didn't make it to the World Cup and now they are in a Euro final. And so this is, for a football point of view, this is what it means to us. And from not football point of view, I I think it's a bit um, probably rhetoric from one side, but it's not probably uh, for what happened in the last two years in in my country, in our country, in Italy. uh, Besides football, we were one of the most uh, uh, country affected by the, the pandemic and, you know, seeing people in the streets celebrating uh, last night, uh, two nights, uh, whatever it was, on Tuesday night, uh, <laughs> it was uh, very, very, very emotional for me and for, uh, for all of us. Yeah. How was it for you, Manu? Did you, did you come away from that game feeling proud of, of Spain's efforts or frustrated that they, uh, the way they played in the end? Yeah, after the match, I think that the feeling actually was more proud but yeah I cannot I, I cannot deny that it was like frustration as well because we were so close actually we did like such an such a really good match and we were so close that to think like yeah come on in my opinion I think that if Danny almost scores hit the penalty and we go like one zero in the in the penalty in the penalty shots I think that we were gonna we were gonna make it made it but yeah I mean that's football at the end yeah we didn't score the chances that we had and we couldn't we couldn't go through but yeah Answering your question, we are proud because we didn't expect that. And we are not only proud that we reached the semi-final, we are especially proud that we play like really good football and especially in that match against Italy, that actually was like the first time that we played against like a really good team. We we did what, what we do the best, that is to, to, to play with the ball, to be sometimes even to be like verticals, to find the spaces and 
and that's a, a really good thing. I think that after the tournament, even if we, we couldn't get through to, to the final, I think that the Spain is like stronger than it was before the tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lewis, as, as a neutral observer watching this game, did you feel like uh, Italy getting to the final by hook or by crook was the, was the just outcome in the end? Uh, I think Spain probably deserved to win the game. I think they were the better team. Um in that in that 90 or 120 minutes I do think Spain were the better side but I think over the course of the whole tournament I've not been more impressed by anyone um, other than Italy so I, I don't think there was an outcome that would have been unjust or unfair I think both teams over the last few weeks you could sort of put them in the final and say that they really do deserve to be there I, you really can't argue the way Italy have played the, with the fact that they've got to the final now and equally had Spain won, then I don't think you could argue with that either. It's, it was just really nice to watch two top teams against each other, two teams who both want to have the ball all the time. I don't think we get these clashes that often and it was really, really nice to sit there and watch what was probably, I mean, England have been great, but for, we'll get onto that. And, and there have been different reasons that England have been good. Mm. This is probably the two most impressive and confident and dominant teams in the whole tournament and it was really really nice just to see them play against each other and put on a really really good game yeah it was gripping stuff wasn't it how, how do you feel Italy played on the night Fry? were you surprised by how many chances Spain were able to create because I mean Italy were, were defending superbly a little bit earlier in the tournament uh, not so brilliantly defended d- defensively in, in this game I would say. <laughs> no no I totally agree with with all of you, uh, with all you were saying and what you said, uh, I totally agree. Um, it was disappointing, yes. Uh, from the other side, the, I think we faced for the we faced for the first time uh, since Roberto Mancini started to to this journey in the national team. Uh, we faced for the first time a team that played exactly or very similar like Italy is trying at least to play, uh, having the ball all the time, creating uh, spaces, uh, vertical football, and all of that. Um, so there was a mismatch at one point, you know, there was a, a midfield that was creating and a midfield that was passive and Italy was too passive at one point. Um, I don't, I don't think it's the fault of anyone. I mean, yeah, there are faults, there are issues, but is that I think they were unprepared to play against a team that was playing the football that Italy was supposed to play because they, these players were used to play the same football that Spain was playing. I don't know if you if you understand what I'm saying, but mm. if it makes sense, uh, that's a radical transformation in Italian football, I would say, because we were used to see, and you know better than me, that Italy was defending, defending, defending in the last 20 years of football, and maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 50. Yeah. Uh, so now we have a team that is creating football, that wants to create create occasions all the time, five, six shots uh, every in every half, uh, and we, we didn't see that much before. So I, I think it's a nice evolution of football for Italian football, but of course, if we play five times against Spain, the same game, we are going to lose this game, in my opinion. We were lucky. We were so lucky in this game, in this semifinal. <laughs> and, but, you know, at the end, I think we also deserve to win to the final. I don't think Italy didn't deserve to get in the final. Uh, I think we deserve it, considering all the tournament. But uh, we, we have to improve this for the next World Cup, at least, because otherwise we are going to lo- lose one game for sure. 
Yeah, Manu, on the flip side, were you surprised by how many chances Spain were able to create against Italy? And do you think their inability to, to take so many of those chances was unlucky on the night? Or, or does it sort of point to a, a deeper problem, perhaps with Spain's uh, mentality even? I wouldn't say that I was surprised for the fact that Spain created chances, because I think that during the World, World Cup, so after the match against Slovakia, we were able to create a lot of chances. I think that against Slovakia, we did like the, the, the record in the in the Euros in the first 45 minutes. So we were actually playing well during the tournament, attacking, having options. Uh, the thing that surprised me that we did against Italy, but actually is what, what Francesco was mentioning before, and it was one of the keys before before of the match. They were like two really similar teams that they are like able to, to get the ball and to see that Spain against Actually, the team that it was doing the best football in the tournament was able to get the ball, get the possession and play their football. It was actually, it makes me proud. In my opinion, they face each other. And easily, I say from the beginning of the tournament, the best two coaches in the tournament, of course. And they tried to keep their idea, knowing that it was going to be like, a, you know, like a face, like a really face against face fight. We go with everything. And I think that this change that we were talking after about that, this Daniel Mo change, made the difference and, and Spain did an incredible job. And then what happened? You are in front of the goal and I don't think so that we have actually these players that probably Italy has or France has as well or England or Yarzabal, Daniel Mo, Ferran Torres. Still they need, let us say, 15, 20, 25 matches, 25 Champions League matches in order to arrive to that moment and to be able to, to score the goal. We had so many chances, but as it happened to, to us in, in the world tournament and before of the tournament, we don't have this this sense to 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 to, to score in the in the right moment. Mm. Despite their obvious flaws, Lewis, did you find uh, Spain compelling to watch at this tournament? I, I mean, I saw someone describe them as uh, as playing against them like being stabbed to death with a toothpick, which I think that was supposed to be a criticism, but I think that sounds like a, a pretty good way of playing football, personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you as a Man City fan, obviously. Yeah. Um, that's that's often, I guess, the the football that you you watch and love. I I think they're great to watch. I think the obvious obvious issue in the first couple of games was finishing the chances, and that cropped up again, maybe against Switzerland. But I'd much rather any team um, not be able to finish them than not be able to create them. And mm. I think if you're creating chances, you will score eventually. It, it doesn't matter. You, you know, we've seen players go through purple patches or, or really dry spells. And we saw that sort of, that, that switch flicked at some point for Spain in the tournament as well. Obviously, the Slovakia game that Manu just mentioned and then the, the game against Croatia as well, go and score 10 goals in two games. And I don't think they were that much better in those two games than they were against against Poland and against um, Sweden. against Sweden. It doesn't help when you keep missing penalties to start they in the end they did start taking their chances and when that clicked into place i don't think there was anything anything wrong or anything that you could find unenjoy about unenjoyable about watching them and pedri especially obviously emerged in this tournament i think probably people who watch barcelona or watch european football more or watch la liga had an idea about pedri now the entire continent i think fell in love with yeah. with him and it's impossible not to fall in love with a guy who plays football like that in I mean, as a, an outsider, you look at Spain playing football 10 years ago and you think, how the hell are they ever going to replace Iniesta? Yeah. And then somebody just appears like that. It's incredible. Um, I, overall, yeah, I think they're really enjoyable to watch. And I, I loved the, this semi-final with Dani Olmo 
sort of up front and it, it felt so so true to Spain and true to Spanish football that there was this game where you thought okay the two midfields are going to both want to dominate possession and then the Spanish solution was to say okay well we won't play a striker so we have an extra midfielder instead it it felt really Spanish it reminded me of playing up front in 2012 it worked. It helped them sort of take control of the game and dominate against, like the guys have said, Manu, I agree completely. Italy were the most impressive team in the tournament until this game. So, yeah, I, it's incredible how quickly things have changed from Spain not really sure what's going to come next. And after that sort of golden period in the 2008 to 12, you wonder where the next great Spain team is going to come from. And then it just looks like suddenly a few weeks later, we're all so certain that they're brilliant again mm. and they could compete for the World Cup in 18 months. Indeed, yeah. Uh, Lewis mentioned it there, Manu. Do you think, uh, what did you think of Lewis Enrique's decision to start Morata on the bench for this game? When I saw the, the start 11, to be honest, I was not really sure what happened there. But then, yeah, I had like next to me our colleague, Davide, Davide, Davide Zanelli, and he told to me, wow, Manuel, Players like Bonucci and Chiellini, they are really strong with a reference, but when they don't have a reference, they get lost. So actually, I thought, okay, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And in my, and the, first, the first idea that we had, uh, David and me, was that Ferran Torres was going to play as a false nine. Mm-hmm. But then Luis Enrique, is, it was such a genius that he didn't put Ferran, he put Dani Olmo because what he wanted is to win with the ball, to win like this four against three with the midfield. And Dani Olmo has like really better touch than better touch and better understanding of the game than, than Ferran Torres. And he was like doing this kind of messy thing in Bernabeu in Barcelona 1-2-6, like going, going back, taking the ball, uh, pass again, doing the triangles with Pedri, Busquets and, and Coque. I don't know, for me it was like an incredible move. And especially because after the match, you listen to the, the press conference of Luis Enrique and he's playing you exactly. That is what he was looking for. That is what he got. And in my opinion, Wall Spain and actually maybe all of the football fans at the beginning they didn't understand well the change. Probably they thought like me or David that probably was going to be Ferran. But then when we saw that the, the, the idea was to put Daniel Moder and how he understand the, the the idea of Luis Enrique for me was incredible. It was the key. I think that if if Morata plays instead of Dani Olmo, the match was going to be like kind of 50-50 or maybe 55-45 for Italy, especially the possession. And that was actually the change who was like a change gamer, even if a game changer, even if at the end the, the result was, was the one that was that Italy go through. Mm. And what did you think of Roberto Mancini's um, team selection for this game, Fra? Do you see him maybe tinkering with the lineup perhaps for the final? I mean, if, uh, if Chiellini and Bonucci... Uh, you know, like a reference, then Harry Kane's going to be in their back pocket, isn't he? Surely, <laughs> you say that anyway. Uh, no, I, I think Roberto Mancini now he couldn't change so much. I wasn't expecting him to make a, more changes for the semi-final after the injury of Spinazzola, the Emerson. We were going to talk later probably about Emerson, but uh, uh, that was the only only change he could actually make and. In the midfield, um, it's difficult to make a decision because honestly, when Locatelli and Pessina came in later, they were even worse than the one they were playing before. So they didn't make an impact as the games uh, they played before. There is a big, uh, the, the only big, uh, let's say, discussion in Italy is about Ciro Immobile because he's not doing well in the in the in the tournament. Uh, Belotti is doing better, but it's not like that he's doing amazingly and he has to play 100%. Uh, so I think it's 
make sense what he's doing to uh, believing in this group of guys and I think he won't change many play it won't change and make any change for the game on 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 Sunday but we will talk later about the final yeah I will actually don't have a question about Emerson so you can talk about him now if you like what did you make of his performance at left back listen the the comparison with Pinazzola is a bit unjust because Pinazzola was uh, I my opinion I don't know if you agree with, with me but he was one of the two three best players of the tournament so far yeah. uh, so it's difficult to replace him in a game like this against Spain. Uh, I don't think he was great, but I don't think he was terrible. And c- considering the alternatives Mancini has in the team, he couldn't make a different choice. Probably he could play with Florenzi on the right and Di Lorenzo on the left, as he did later when when uh, when he made uh, the other change, but uh, when he put Toloi in. But Di Lorenzo he always play on the right, so playing against Spain on the left for a for a for a right back is very difficult. Uh, so I think him, I, I don't think I don't think he was great, but he was expecting even worse. So I, I'm quite okay with his performance at the end. Yeah, and and Lewis uh, Jorginho is a, a guy who's played a pivotal role for Italy at this tournament. I mean, we've we've watched him for Chelsea over the years. We've watched him for Napoli. Um, have you always been a fan of his? And are you now behind the uh, Jorginho for Ballon d'Or uh, campaign? Yeah, the Maurizio Sarri's driving that bus, isn't he? Um, <laughs> I think um, I, I think Jorginho's been really underappreciated in England. To be honest, I think he's you you watch him in this tournament, and then you'd see him now with a manager who who understands what he actually brings to a team in Thomas Tuchel, who who loves similar midfielders. Had Julian Weigl make his breakthrough at Dortmund mm. under him. This is a guy who's been brilliant in, in a run to win the Champions League. He's now been brilliant on the run in the European Championships. I think he's just a really particular midfielder. Your team needs to play a certain way. You need to play with the ball. You need to give him options in front of you. You need to press high. If you do those things, I think he fits in perfectly. And I think maybe some of the problems he's had at Chelsea, and he's not fair to say he's not been loved by Chelsea fans, I think there was a lot of issues with them not liking Sari's football and Lampard's football not suiting him. When you put him in a team that suits him and Napoli were absolutely that and Chelsea look like it again now and Italy certainly do, then I think he's an excellent midfielder. Mm. Ballon d'Or? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe <enough>. not. <laughs> uh, Fra, a player we uh, we haven't spoken much about during this tournament. Uh, perhaps that's... Uh, that's um, uh, shows our ignorance is uh, is Federico Chiesa. Um, did you expect it to have such a big impact for Italy, or has it been a nice surprise for you? I was expecting a lot from Federico Chiesa, and uh, we we see him uh, playing here with Juventus before with Fiorentina. Is uh, one of the best talents we have right now in Italy, Italian football. So I was totally expecting something like this. I was surprised because Berardi played the first game, mm. and uh, the first games actually, and uh, also when. When he came in against Austria, um, uh, Chiesa was the, the guy, the, the, the man who decided the game, that they changed completely the spirit of the team. And, uh, we were expecting something from him like this. And now he's, uh, you cannot play without him. I think it's quite, quite, quite understandable this from, from outside that is, it's crucial for, for this team. It's, it's, uh, he's, uh, his technique is amazing, but not only that. I think it's 
his spirit, that what he brings to the team in terms of, of how much he ran during a game. Uh, I think he was the perfect player for Antonio Conte at Inter Milan uh, last year. But then they opted for Akimi. I think was a was a great idea also. But uh, Chiesa with Antonio Conte in a three-five-two will be another level. Uh, Antonio Conte wanted him, but uh, in this team with a four-three-three, also it's the role he knows better, and uh, and uh, it's not a surprise for us. Mm. Is he as good as his dad? Would you say, or better than his dad at this point? I mean, it's difficult to say that now because his dad had a, had a, has a long career, but uh, I think as a potential, he's already better. Uh, there is no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, Manu Lewis mentioned Pedri earlier. He's, uh, he's really impressed anybody who's watched Spain at this tournament. Uh, who else uh, from Spain would you say has come out of, of Euro 2020 with their reputation enhanced? I would say actually the full squad, but probably the ones that they were supposed to be like the stars of the of the team that they were Marcos Llorente and Gerard Moreno that I don't think so that they did like a like a bad tournament mm. not at all but at the end they were not so important as they were supposed to be and I think that actually it's because of Luis Enrique he already called them knowing that he had like another idea of, of football and and after that Players like, for example, especially Dani Olmo, even in my opinion, Laporte did a really mm-hmm. good tournament, or Azpilicueta, Unai Simón, uh, of course, Pedri, Koke. I think that all of them, they give like a better level than it was expected. I would like to, to mention especially, especially Busquets, because I think that for me, for really many people, he, he was finished it or he's finished it. And actually, I still think that he's a player that he's only able to play in one context, but playing in that context, for me, it's like the best uh, defensive midfielder I have seen in, in my life. What what happens? That if he plays in a different one, he just is like behind 10 or, or 15 other uh, midfields that they are able to adapt to different games. And actually, Luis Enrique knew that. he uh, After he came back from from the, from the COVID, he was, of course, directly to the, to the start 11. And Spain started to play, to play much better than the first two matches. Having especially the ball in the, in the opposite side and then... He was able to install this high pressure that he does really well. That he only needs to move like three meters, four meters to any other side and and get the ball. And and yeah, for me, at least is give us the option that another year at least in Barcelona, people they are not going to complain that they have to change him because he's old. Because I think that even with with his age, he has already shown that if you create a team that play in that context, that he's 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 good. He he performs as as the best or one of the best midfielders in the world. Mm. Uh, well, the match was, of course, decided by a penalty shootout in the end. Uh, Lewis, I know you were watching it with Manu at a public viewing here in Berlin. Uh, how how enjoyable was it for you to enjoy that, uh, uh, to observe that uh, that roller coaster of emotions <laughs> from a from a neutral standpoint, would you say? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we were, there was 20 of Italian people there, plenty of Spanish people there. It was... It's loud. It's always enjoyable, right? <laughs> It's definitely enjoyable watching a penalty shootout when you you don't really you know you, you, it's not going to break your heart if if it does or doesn't go in. So yeah, I mean, what's to say? It was also a perfect penalty shootout. I think like for you need a couple of misses. Like you don't want everybody scoring, and then like Switzerland, France, it was a bit too perfect. Nine penalties, and then Mbappe misses the only one. Uh, you get a couple of misses in there. Miss the first penalty, really puts the cat amongst the pigeons. 
it was great. Mm. I'm wondering, I've, I've noticed a bit of backlash against the extra time at this tournament. People saying, like, why do we have to sit through 30 minutes of, of sort of cagey football when we could just get straight into the penalty shootout? I mean, I don't want to, I don't think we should do away with extra time altogether, but do you think maybe reducing it from 30 minutes to maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes would make more sense? I think there's so much, we, we talk so much about there being so much football nowadays, and then these players play, you know, they they give everything in the 90 minutes and then you ask them to play 30 more minutes. I do think quite often the standard drops quite a lot mm. in that extra time. Uh, I personally, I would be interested in, in us saying sort of, yeah, either maybe play 10 more minutes or something, get to a nice round 100 or just say, yeah, straight to penalties after 90 minutes. Yeah, or do some like mad stuff like you, you have to like take a player off every five minutes or something. Or <laughs> yeah, like, those weird like, FIFA, yeah, like really FIFA, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really well, if you stuff. score, you take the player yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just m- mess it up. That's what I say. Uh, how was the penalty <laughs> shootout for you then, Fra? Were you, were you panicking when Locatelli missed the first one, and then you know were you a, an ocean of calm when Jorginho stepped up to take the decisive one? Well, I can tell you that I lost three kilograms in the night. Uh, I don't know if, if that was during the penalties or in the celebrations, but that's that's the result of it. I was uh, totally without water in my body at the end of the at the end of the night. Um, I was panicking. Yes, when Locatelli missed it, I was sure it was done because uh, uh, they were already exhausted. The players, uh, you miss the first one, so psychologically it's terrible. Uh, that's why Chiellini was, I don't know if you saw it, was, I was hugging Locatelli the whole penalty shootout. <laughs> he was with him all the time. Uh, and that's, I think, was amazing to see that. And um, I can tell you one thing. I totally forgot, and that, that makes you understand my, my, my state of mind in that moment, the existence of Giorginio. So I completely forgot about him. So I was like, I was like when, when, we, when we, we were about to, to shoot the fifth one, I was like, so fucking hell, who is going to do that now? I'm, I'm, he's going to miss it. And then I realized it was Jorginho. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> and then when I saw him, I was like, okay, now we made it. Jorginho is not going to miss the penalty. He never misses the penalty. So it's fine. And, uh, and that, that's how it went. So I, that tells you my, my state of mind in that moment. I, I forgot about the existence of Jorginho in our team. So <laughs> I was totally, totally lost. I was, uh, was it Benucci who took the third one? It was, wasn't it, for Italy? Yeah. And I was like... The, yeah, I think so, yeah. Because that, that's generally considered the sort of pivotal one, isn't it? And I was like, wow, that's a brave move, letting Benucci take that. But it was a great penalty. No, Benucci is very good in shooting penalties. But for me, the crucial one is the Andrea Belotti one. Because uh, I, think, I think Belotti has a bad reputation in Italy about penalties. He's not like really good in shooting penalties. And he, when he shoot at the, the second one... Uh, and he, I mean, Unai Simon was very close to, to reach the ball, yeah. uh, and the, the ball, uh, ball get, uh, went in. In that moment, I think uh, the psychological negativity that started with Locatelli went out, so when it was gone. So I think that was the crucial one, actually, for, for, the, for the penalty shootout on mm-hmm. Tuesday. Uh, Manu Maratta obviously scored the, the equalising goal in the game, but did you, did you know he was going to miss when he stepped up to take that decisive penalty? Yeah, I'm not going to say that they knew that he was going to miss, <laughs> but probably I had the opposite feeling than Francesco had when he saw Jorginho <laughs> going to through to shoot the, the last one. I mean, uh, what to say? I mean, he, he did Let's a, ask Alejandro uh, what he thinks about he Morata did, penalty. He did, he, did a, he did a very good match, but he's 
and you know because he had playing he had played in England he had played in, he plays right now in Italy his men, his mentality is very weak and actually in the penalties at the end is like a kind of mental game between the goalkeeper the pressure and everything so maybe he's not the right person to go there it's easy to say now because I mean he was in front of the Donnarumma in the 80s and he scored but I think that the penalty is especially like a mental game and Morata if we talk about mentality probably is not the strongest guy that we have in the, Spain, in the Spanish national team Just one thing I want to add about the penalty is about Donnarumma because I think we uh, I'm glad that now also people of South Italy are watching Donnarumma and they see how, how good he is and in the mental game Manu was talking about, I think that Donnarumma was a big factor. When you see Donnarumma, Donnarumma is like a giant, yeah. and he's 22. Like, if he opens his arms, he covers all the, all the, <laughs> all the goal, basically. Uh, so even the Dani Ormo penalty, I think, has a lot to do with Donnarumma's uh, presence in the goal. Uh, and uh, I'm glad about him. Indeed. And, it, and before we before we stop talking about the penalties, I think we just have to mention Chiellini and his <laughs> bizarre <laughs> domination of Jordi Alba yeah. when the toss was done. It was one of the weirdest and most brilliant yeah. things I've ever seen. Yeah, he has that very yeah. sort of manic quality to him, uh, Chiellini, doesn't like he? Right before That's the like that... semi-final penalty <laughs> shootout and he's just having a laugh with the guy slapping him in the face and stuff. Yeah, that's like when you're in a club drunk and there is a friend that you don't want, he doesn't want to see you and then you're like being friendly with him, but he doesn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, the best comparison that I have read in Twitter was was uh, yeah, someone in Spain who, who just wrote the situation Kirin Jordi Alba reminds me with the Erasmus from Italy. They came to the party and see you with your girlfriend and they are talking with your girlfriend during the whole night and before leaving they just told you hey you're an amazing guy bye bye <laughs> and they just... <laughs> there we go there we go <laughs> Uh, well, then we come to Wednesday's semi-final, which finished 2-1 England against Denmark after extra time. Uh, that means England are into the final of a major tournament for the first time in, since 1966. I might have mentioned that earlier. Uh, Lewis, uh, I want you to be honest now. What, what, if anything, does it mean to you to see England in this final? Do you want me to be really honest? Yeah. Yeah, not very much. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that I'm not on the, the national team bandwagon it's just not something that yeah. I've ever cared too much about and I feel like I would be very 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 untrue to myself if I now cared a lot just because they're good and in a final um, it's very weird I would say that it's very strange that I'm watching a tournament and the semi-finals and the final coming up on Sunday and that there's going to be an England team there. It's not something that growing up I thought I would was ever realistic that we would see it. And then you think, you know, that I mean, we go back to three Lions and then there's always going to be some way that England screw it up or, <laughs> or, or some little bit of luck that doesn't go their way. You know, the Gascoigne just not stretching enough for the ball or a penalty shootout. Or, and it's really strange. And the work that Gareth Southgate has done to get the team playing so well. He's obviously got an amazing amount of talent available available to him, but to get the team playing well, they've got a clear plans against everyone they come up against and all of their strengths. You see like at the Germany game and 
we know that we see the way that Robin Gosens basically ripped Portugal apart on the left. So England switched to a back five and he's been chopping and changing the, you know, Foden in then Saka in then Sancho in for the Ukraine game against a more defensive side, then Saka back it. It's really, really impressive. It's not something, yeah, that, that any of us have ever seen from an England team. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean a, a whole amount to <laughs> me. But it is one hell of an achievement. I don't know about you, Dan, if, if yeah. it means a bit more, maybe. I mean, I think on the spectrum of England support, I'm a little bit more supportive of them than you. But, you know, certainly when I was a kid, I, I didn't care for them very much at all because as a young Man City fan, I looked at the team and it was a team full of Man United players. And I just couldn't sort of compute that <laughs> in my mind that I was supposed to support them during the summer and hate them during the, the, the regular season. So um, I've definitely warmed to them more now as time goes on. And I definitely think this sort of this group of players, a very likable group of players more more so than has ever been the case before um you know I think I, I'm certainly not like our colleague Joel who who actively wants England to lose I think I don't think he would mind me saying that um and I totally agree with you that it is bizarre and feels like a sort of historic thing that we that maybe we never thought we would experience during our lifetime that England are actually in the final and that that in itself is enough for me really I don't even care if England win or lose on Sunday it feels like an event that they got to this final but I was interested how how it's like in Italy and Spain actually do you guys have um people who, who don't really support the national team or, or actually want them to lose in some cases uh, I, I start with Italy um, I think not that you want to lose us but it's true that uh, international like national teams are seen as a something that not the real passionate fans football don't watch mm. so like when when there are the national team you you, you you go on vacation if you do this job or you know you like football so much and you follow your club uh, so that's that's probably something very very close to the uh, for your culture uh, but then during the tournament i think uh, we are all very into that uh, so so we jump on the we jump on the on the on the on the car as we say here in Italy (laughs) exactly that's something I have a hard time doing yeah I I almost feel a bit envious of people who just have like no conflicting feelings about the England team whatsoever and just love it like I watched the game with Alex the other night and he was just loving every second of it and I'm like (laughs) I'm sort of I'm sort of enjoying it but I'm kind of wish I was watching my club team really to be be honest what's it like in Spain Manu do you have do you have uh, people who have conflicting feelings towards the national team yeah of course a lot uh, to, to be honest, I think that that national team was probably the one that all of these people that they have conflict feelings with the national team, they were following the most. Because, you know, actually it used to be like, the national team used to be full of Real Madrid players. And actually the Real Madrid fans, they used to be like the most patriotic ones. So maybe this year, because they were not Real Madrid players on the team, Luis Enrique was the coach, probably they were these patriotic ones. The ones that at the beginning, they were not happy with the national team and they, they even they were like happy they lose. And it was like all of the other part, like the Basques, the Catan, the Galicians, uh, only because, you know, like Ojar Zabal, Unai Simón, mm. the, the, the no Real Madrid players at all, that we were like really on the team. But at the end, in that was like kind of a special occasion. To be honest, uh, with us happens the same that you have, you have already described it. And I have the same feeling like you, Dan. I really would love to... To, to feeling more at the end, you know, you're already in the atmosphere with some beers around, your, your, your friends like just shouting or whatever. But 
I'm never I'm gonna sing a, a, a Spanish goal like I sing like one Celta, yeah. one Barcelona, one. So actually that's a pity. I would like to really sing both in the in the same level, but 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 it doesn't happen and it's yeah and it's actually a pity. Yeah, Lewis, does uh, does Gareth Southgate make it easier to support England for you? And have you been impressed by his uh, his management at this tournament? Generally speaking. I think it's the, (laughs) you're speaking, you know, what you said about being a City fan and you grew up with the team full of Man United players and as an Arsenal fan growing up and the team's full of Man United and Chelsea players, (laughs) I I don't think, I, I, you know, on a personal level, politically speaking and that sort of thing, I don't think there's ever been such a likeable England team Mm. and the things they stand for, they all seem pretty much to a man like genuinely good people deep down. Um, they, They stand for the right causes they're vocal about them. They're passionate about them. I don't think there are many egos at all in that squad. And I think Gareth Southgate has, has cultivated an yeah, incredible atmosphere. And you're talking about, you know, a guy who's... We've got Wembley clamouring for Jack Grealish to come on the pitch in a semi-final. He brings Jack Grealish on and then because he wants to change something tactically, takes Jack Grealish mm. off and Grealish has no problem with it at all. And you've got players there that haven't played and every press conference, Southgate seems to pick out, you know, someone who hasn't played or who came off the bench and, and only played 10 minutes, who was really important. The real, you know, he's obviously approaching it from an angle of being a former international who was never a star, never a regular starter. He knows how all those players feel in that situation. And it seems like it's so, so important to him that the players all feel valued and all feel a a real part of the group. The team spirit's amazing. And yeah, it is it's very special. And I think probably as a manager, it's the hardest thing to do. You've got not even 23, 26 this year in the squad and to keep everybody happy. Some of them aren't playing. Some of them are only getting a few minutes. Some of them are never starting the games and and only coming off the bench. And nobody's complaining. Everybody seems absolutely delighted to be a part of it and and play their little role, no matter what it is. And he has to take enormous credit for that. Yeah. Um, Do you think he's got, he he got his team selection right for the Denmark game? I mean, I'd imagine you were particularly pleased to see uh, Bukayo Saka back in the lineup, were you? Yeah, I think as an Arsenal have been rubbish for a couple of years and <laughs> uh, like really rubbish. And as an Arsenal fan, I think, you know, we've sort of slipped maybe a bit out of the public consciousness and maybe people didn't realise how good Bukayo Saka is. Um, he was already Arsenal's best player last season at, as a teenager, which I know is not saying that much, but for a teenager to, to come in at a club like that and not be overawed maybe even more so by the situation of the club struggling and to perform every single week and be the man, the young man that everybody looks to. It says something about him and his quality. I think he's obviously now stepped up and doing it at an even bigger level on an even bigger stage. Um, Yeah. As an Arsenal fan, massively proud of him and, and so happy for him as well. I think Phil Foden obviously is a great player. Jaden Sancho is about to move for 85 million. Mm. But Saka, there's something about him that's so, so mature in terms of his decision making and his discipline and working for the team. And it's really, really valuable. He, he just sort of fits in. I think that's what he was so good at Arsenal this season. He, he's so malleable. He fits in and can adapt and adjust his game to whatever the team needs might not be as explosive as as Foden or as creative or uh, you know have as much ingenuity as Sa- as Sancho but 
he's a little bit of a he's just so well rounded, and I think that's exactly why Gareth Southgate loves him. To be honest, mm. yeah, he's, he's going to be ridiculous in a few years, isn't it? He? he's already so good. Yeah, I hope people sort of stop watching him as the season goes <laughs> on, and maybe everyone can forget how good he is, and then Arsenal maybe get him tied down to a nicely long contract. Yeah, uh, Manu, I think a lot of English people and pundits perhaps naively expected a, an easy game against Denmark. Maybe that's that English arrogance coming to the fore again. Um, did, did you always think the Danes were going to be tough opponents here, and how do you think they played uh, on the night? Yeah, I mean, it's not that I was thinking that Denmark was like the best thing of the tournament. In my opinion, they were like a good team, but at the end, a team who reached the semi-finals is always like a like a tough op- opponent. And, and if there is something that England has sh- shown during the tournament, is like besides the match against Ukraine, all of the other matches they were like kind of 50-50, 55-45, winning 1-0 against Croatia, the, the, the draw against, I think it was against Scotland, right? And then uh, another uh, victory also 1-0. Germany, uh, there were no like incredible matches beside that one against Ukraine. So to think that you are going to win a, an easy match in a semi-final of a tournament like an Euros, actually it's, it's to be, it's not really see the reality. I mean, the football right now is more equal than ever. And, and I expected a, a, a match like at the end it was. I mean, I don't know if extra time or not, but I expected Dingmar with chances to, to win for sure. Mm. Um, Fra, we, we've spoken about Serie A players lighting up this tournament and uh, Sampdoria's Mikhail Damsgaard certainly lit up this game with a stunning free kick to open the scoring. Have, have his performances this summer come as a surprise to you or had you already earmarked him as a star based on what you'd seen at club level? No, I mean, we... We were expecting him to play well, but not that well, to yeah. be honest. He he did a quite good season with Sampdoria. Not amazing, but uh, we he showed some some of his talent. I think he was a bit, uh, um, let's say, he wasn't like always playing really well all the games. So uh, a bit inconsistent from this uh, from this point of view. Claudio Ranieri did, did a really good job with him, I think, at Sampdoria, and uh, I mean. The, he was not supposed to play. We we know that because he's uh, he's the, he was the backup of Christian Eriksen. But after after what happened, we saw that with him, uh, Denmark are, are are doing did a great 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 Euros, and uh, now there is a lot of pressure on him for next season. A lot of clubs want him, but. The Sampdoria president asked for 35, 40 million for him. So I don't see him going this mm. this summer. Um, so I'm glad that he he's showing his qualities, and uh, we were not expecting him to be the best player of of his national team. Yeah, um, bit of talk about maybe Jordan Pickford should have done a bit better with that free kick, Lewis. Did you uh, did you feel that as well? And and what have you what have you made of Pickford overall at this tournament? It, it was hit hard, but I do think he maybe should have got across to it. It's mm. not it's not right in the corner. I think you sort of you let him have one, uh, especially you know he's not conceded a goal other than that in the tournament so far. But I, I'd be expecting my goalkeeper to probably save that. I do mm. think uh, not to take anything away from Damsgaard. Uh, the tournament overall, uh, it's very I don't know. I feel like watching Jordan Pickford, you're always watching someone on a bit of a tightrope. <laughs> you know that something could go really wrong yeah. really soon, but it might not at the same time. And I think that's what we saw against Denmark, he had a really iffy first half, a couple of bad kicks and threw the ball out to Damsgaard on the edge of the box accidentally at one point. 
it, you know, Pickford, you've always got this feeling that he's got that Rick in him. And obviously people will be hoping that maybe that shaky half an hour, 45 minutes against Denmark, he's got that out of his system now and, and he'll be able to refocus and, and go again from scratch against Italy. Yeah, I mean, I think if, you've, if you're picking a weak spot in the England team, I do think it is him. But he's had a pretty good tournament so far. He's just got to get through one more game without any sort of yeah. mistake. Yeah. Well, it helps that he's got a good defence in front of him as well. And uh, would you say Harry Maguire's gone up on your estimations at this tournament? And how important do you think it is to have uh, John Stones playing well alongside him as well? Yeah, I think they've both been brilliant. And, and I wouldn't stop there either, obviously. I think Kyle Walker too. Yeah. Um, and Luke Shaw. Sort of, yeah, yeah, Luke Shaw as well. I mean, Luke Shaw probably gets forward a little bit more than... Than the Walker, especially Walker, it's the transformation he's made in particular. This sort of when he was at Tottenham and he was this basically an auxiliary winger playing right back, mm. and ever since he moved to Man City in the last few years, especially and now doing it for England too, he's much more that sort of third centre back. And with the speed he's got, he can. It doesn't matter if Maguire or, or Stones maybe get beaten with a ball in behind. Walker always seems to appear. He's unbelievably quickly reads the game really well and he, he just seems to pop up anytime you think some there's might be a bit of danger a ball in behind a counter-attack that sort of thing he always seems to be there sweeping it up and yeah I do agree I think Maguire's been absolutely brilliant there's so much talk or there's been so much talk about his price tag and you know you don't have to be the best defender in the world because you're the most expensive defender in the mm. world and I think that's that's a, maybe a bit of the criticism that's come his way has been a bit overblown because of that. Yeah. But I think this tournament in particular, you've seen performances that I didn't know he was necessarily capable of. He's been absolutely rock solid. Yeah, and Stones as well. You, you sort of forget Stones is playing for England, which is ideal for a centre-back as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Someone who just yeah, does, you, does everything nicely, tidily, simply. Yeah, I think John Stones, especially when you when you're noticing John Stones, it tends to be for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, and when he's playing well, he just exudes this sort of serenity that I think can only be infectious for for his teammates too. Yeah, uh, England's equaliser came when Saka's cross went in off Simon Kiar. Uh, Fra, were you particularly upset to see Kiar score that own goal? You know, after the, the role he played in in the Ericsson incident earlier in the tournament as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He didn't deserve it uh, to end his Euros in this way. Uh, but uh, overall, I think uh, what happened goes beyond football and uh, we appreciate him more as a person than probably any other player in this uh, in this tournament. And uh, But yes, of course, but that's football. Uh, that's that, that can happen. Yeah. So it's, I don't think it's his fault if Denmark lost uh, the game, uh, no. even, even even without the, the, the own goal. Yeah, it was an unlucky own goal. Not much he could have done about it. I mean, I thought it was another goal yeah. for Raheem Sterling at first. Yeah, exactly. He had another very good game aside from that as well. Is he uh, in contention for player of the tournament, in your opinion, Manu? Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, maybe he's not the one that deserved the most the tournament because I think that other players, they did like, Maybe a better tournament than him, but the tournament that Sterling is doing is like a great one. So for me, say that he doesn't deserve to be in the, in the contention for, for the player of the tournament, it would be, it would be a lie because he has been the key during the group phase. He scored like the first three goals, uh, in the semifinals. He almost scored the goal, even if he was scared, the, the own goal. And then he was also a key player in, in the penalty. To be honest, and probably, you know, you know, as I know, Dan, we didn't expect Sterling playing like that. That's yeah. the decision that he did, especially after the last month that he did in, in Manchester. 
Yeah, has it been a big surprise for you as well, Lewis? Because, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't have a great uh, end to the season at City. And a lot of people coming into this tournament were saying, does he even deserve to start? Does he even deserve to be in the squad in some cases? And he, he has been probably England's best player, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think he's been by far England's best and most consistent player. And I probably would have him as the player of the tournament as well, personally. It, it's so, it's strange, isn't it, after such a poor season? I don't know, maybe that's a bit harsh, but for his standards, a disappointing season with City. And he's, I don't know, just like a new lease of life. Maybe it is a bit of the change of scenery and that after a season that I'm sure disappointed him as well. This England team looks like it's built for him to shine, like the way that Harry Kane drops into midfield and, and doesn't maybe play as a classic centre-forward. It's perfect for Sterling. We've seen it so often at Man City over the past few seasons, just ghosting into those dangerous spaces in the box. The game against Denmark, I can't remember the last time I saw him get the ball and take people on so much. I feel like he's become a player that's a lot more about getting on the end of things and finishing moves. But against Denmark, he was sort of the central hub of creativity and doing everything and driving at players. I think he's been brilliant. And there was even talk before the season or before the summer about maybe City could sell him, maybe a few clubs are interested. I think there's absolutely no <laughs> yeah. chance of that happening yeah. now. Yeah, I, I know you're a, you're a big Jaden Sancho fan as well. Um, I mean, given that he's barely played, but, but, but Saka has played, Sterling has played. Do you think Southgate's got that about right overall? You look at the results and it's really hard to disagree. Yeah. I think I think it's the same. For me, I'm, I'm surprised... I'm not surprised so much because I know he doesn't play in England, but the clamour for Jack Grealish to always come on the pitch, Mm. I'm surprised that that's always about him and not about Sancho as much. But I think, you know, when when Grealish is coming on as an impact sub, if there's no room for him in the 11, then there's just no room for a player like that in the 11. If you wanted to get one of them into the team, then you're probably asking England to play a different way and... You know, a bit more on the front foot, trying to take people on a bit more, create more chances. It's not the way that they've played, and that's what's got them to the final: is being defensively solid and then making sure they get one or two really good chances during the game instead of dominating possession and taking players on and trying to create seven, eight, nine chances like Spain have done. It's what's gotten there, so. You can't really argue with it. Gareth Southgate's got it spot on. Yeah, agreed. Uh, of course, of course, with no winner in normal time, we went to extra time of this game and England were awarded a very controversial penalty. Um, question for all three of you, just give me a yes or no answer to this. Was it a penalty, Lewis? No. Francesco? No. Manu? No, but I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. <laughs> there were two There were two balls in the... In the, in the, in the, in the, in the in the in the field, how is that? How is that possible that they didn't stop the game? Do you know, do you know what? At the time, I thought no, and I was I was quite annoyed by it actually because you know we, we talked before that I'm not like the most passionate England fan. I wanted them to sort of win in the right way if they were going to win, and it felt like not that they cheated or anything, but it was just it just was very unfortunate for Denmark. And when Schmeichel saved the initial penalty, I instinctively went yes. And then <laughs> pull it away. I celebrated that. And then yes again. Yeah, <laughs> of course, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, having seen having seen a, a, another replay of it, he definitely gets clipped a couple of times. Sterling. I mean, my, my follow up question was going to be: if it's not a penalty, is it therefore a dive? Yeah, I think that's this like weird straddle of this line between penalty and dive. Because yeah. um, I think you can. I also think you can. You can foul, be fouled, and dive. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, when you yeah, yeah. like really exaggerate in the contact and maybe it's just a little nick and and you go down and make a meal of it. Um, I, I don't really think it's that much of a dive. I just think he's in a situation where he can't keep running anymore. But I don't. <laughs> but I also don't yeah. think anyone sort of trips him. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't think it's enough for a penalty. I don't think Sterling has much choice. But I think that happens all the time and players go down and, and there was something there, but the ref doesn't give a foul. I just think it was one of those. And it, it was also this with this weird situation that we have with, with VAR now where this whole clear and obvious error thing, it's like if the ref gate didn't give that, there was no way that they would have gone to VAR mm. and, and changed the decision and yeah. changed it to a penalty. Yeah. But at the same time, when he has given it in the first place and there is a bit of contact there, it, it becomes impossible, I think, for the video assistant to say, no, actually... Exactly. No, they can't. They can't, uh, technically, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what what I just want to say is that imagine if an Italian player did that what Sterling did. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> what you were saying about Italians. Well, that, that brings me on the to my English next... media now. The English yeah, media... Oh, sorry, Dan, go on. No, go for it, mate. Go for it. No, I was just going to say, like, you said, I saw Jamie Carragher yesterday, I think, saying it's, it's streetwise. Um, <laughs> and we've had, you know, we've had the same conversations for years. Every time Jamie Vardy goes down, it's streetwise. But whenever any, any non-English player gets a penalty like that in the Premier League, it's a dive. Yeah, well, I was going to say there was an article in Marker uh, Thursday morning which said, uh, English football can now stop lecturing the rest of Europe about diving. Is that, is that how you feel about it, Fra, that the English are hypocrites when it comes to this kind of thing? <laughs> no, it's not about the English. I mean, in general, we always say also in Italy, oh, you know, in the Premier League, you, that's never a penalty. And then you go to the Euros and, and England go to the final of the Euros with a penalty like this. So I think it's, uh, I mean, that's just stereotypes about football everywhere, no? Coming from, coming from you, coming from us, coming from everywhere. <laughs> like you tell us our is a farmer's league, uh, all the time. Uh, now we, we can say, we can say ours is not anymore, but uh, that, that's normal. It's normal. It's normal. It's okay. I remember someone saying a long time it. ago that, um, it's uh, snooker and Italian football are the only sports that you can play lying down. <laughs> That's yeah. the old cliche. Do you agree? And also going to the final with England as well. There you go. Do you agree with Marker, Manu? Do, we, do the English need to stop lecturing the rest of Europe about diving now? Yeah, actually, I don't know if I'm agree with Marco or not, but in my opinion, <laughs> I have been always for those ones that they dive. I mean, to be honest, for me, it's part of the football. Now, actually, with the VR. We cannot do this kind of thing, this kind of theater, or to score a goal with a hand. And for me, this football as well, it's like when you go to an exam, you have the option to the option to cheat, <laughs> and to try to copy from the, the one who is next to you. Then if the teacher uh, finds I, it, actually, you know what is going to happen. But in football, <laughs> it should be the same. If you are able to to find the way that the referee doesn't see you, I mean, come on, I'm, it, it's part of it's part of the game. And actually, for me, the like you, are, like you, a Bobo Fuego, Manu, it's the same. For example, yeah, for example, I mean, actually, I prefer I prefer someone who dives than someone who make like a really bad tackling that can make injury another player. Actually, someone who dives is try to to yeah to distract to to make the mistake of the of the referee as they do for the goalkeeper because when you when you are doing like a dribbling you also try to lie i mean i'm gonna go for the right but then i go for the left so something like maybe mm. it's kind of part of the game i just want to say 
Yeah. For for the listeners, Manu is from Spain, so I, it's not the Italian who's saying that. Okay, so it's just <laughs> well, saying that. When we play five aside, you're by far the biggest cheat on the on the pitch. I yeah, yeah, yeah I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> really living up to the Italian stereotype. But, but, but people people don't know that, so <laughs> they do now. They do now. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's now cast our eyes towards Sunday's final then between England and Italy. It sounds weird to say that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the game is at Wembley, of course. How much of an advantage will that be for England? Do you think? Lewis a big one I think even in a regular tournament when you host the game or you host the tournament and and you get to sort of the semi-finals the final the national stadium there's still you know I think if the stadium was full we still would have had 20 25,000 Italians manage to get tickets and show up at Wembley as it is, we're going to have I think it's 54,000 England fans and 8,000 Italy fans I think it's impossible to think that doesn't make a massive difference. Mm. Um, and Gareth Southgate talked about Italy getting that extra day of rest yesterday. I, I would much rather have a, a day less of rest than basically play a home match um, than, than have the, the opposite situation and you end up playing away from home. And, you know, you've, Italy have obviously been travelling. They played the group games in Rome. They've been travelling since then. England have it's definitely a benefit that they've had to play so many games at Wembley and none more so than in the final when the stadium's going to be I'm sure absolutely rocking yeah does it annoy you Frat that Italy will effectively be the away team or could it maybe galvanise and motivate them a little bit more or I mean maybe should we should we have a two-legged final one leg in, in, in London <laughs> one leg in Rome no thank God they, they get rid of that uh, final for the third place yeah. so I don't want I don't want it to to Two finals. Well, they've not had that for but, years in the Euros, have they? It's been like 1984 or something was the last time they had you that. You really? Yeah, they always oh, yeah. have it in the World Cup, but not the Euros, yeah. The, the, the thing is they never watch it, so I don't know when <laughs> yeah. they played it or not. So, uh, <laughs> uh, But no, what I say about the, the final is that, uh, of course, it's, it's an advantage for England. That's, um, that's 100%. But at the same time, I think for Italy, it's a win-win situation at the end. Because if you lose... Well, Italy did an amazing tournament so far, and that that's that will stay forever. Uh, like the 2012, with, when we lost against Spain in the final, we lost really bad in the final against Spain. But Italy was probably one of the best teams, if not the best team, in that tournament as well. Uh, so that's for sure something to to take in a, take in account. On the other hand, if there is one percent chance of winning against England. After in the final, after uh, how many years? Uh, after uh, 1966, 55, 55 years uh, in a stadium in Wembley in London. <laughs> that's more than the World Cup 2006, guys. So, uh, <laughs> and by the way, by the way, just want to say today is 15 years of the World Cup final 2006. I feel old. I don't know about yeah, you. Poor, 15 poor years, <laughs> 15 guys, 15. Not say five. I'm say 15. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound right to me. You must have made some mistake in your calculations. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably yes. <laughs> I was not good in maths. <laughs> uh, what, what do you reckon Southgate's team's going to look like for this one, Lewis? Same as the Denmark game or will, it, will he tweak it, do you reckon? Yeah, I think this time we'll go for the same. I think it worked very well, firstly. I, I don't think England can mimic Spain. I don't think they've got the players. I don't think they've got that hunger to dominate possession uh, like Spain did and I don't think they've got that organisation to, to press Italy as well as Spain did to make sure they, they sort of really play the game in their half 
So I think it, they'll be happier than definitely than Spain were to let Italy have the ball. And I would expect to see the same, yeah, the same England team, the same back four. You got that Rice and Phillips combination in front of them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be completely shocked if Henderson actually came in for one of those two. Yeah. But I, I would expect to see Rice and Phillips play again. Sterling, Kane, Mount are, are guaranteed, I think. And then Saka. I think he would rather start with Saka and have Foden, Grealish there to, to come off the bench as impact subs and, and turn the game if needed and run against tired legs than going with either of those from the start. I think Saka's a little bit more of a conservative choice, but I also think he's maybe a bit of a the, the choice that maybe won't give the ball away, won't let you down defensively, will, will track back and follow his man. And then you've got Foden and, and Grealish to come on, Sancho maybe against someone who's tired. So yeah, I think he'll play the exact same team. Mm. It feels to me like the two teams in the final are the ones with the deepest squads by far, I would say, actually. I mean, what what about uh, Italy's team for this this game, Francesco? Would you say that uh, it kind of picks its ex- at this point? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I just said that before. I'm going to say that again. I'm expecting the exact starting eleven that started with, with, uh, with Spain playing against England, uh, no doubt. Defence, no doubt. Maybe if there is one change can be the midfield, but I don't see that happening because Locatelli and Pessina did very well when they came in in the past games, not against England. And then I'm not expecting change. If he didn't change before, Immobile is not going to change it for the final. Yeah. So I'm expecting Mancini to pick the same 11. Yeah. All right, Manu, you can have the last word before the final. It's time to jump into the swimming pool again. Who do you think is going to win and why? Nah, don't ask me that. Don't ask me that. <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, I have I have no idea who is gonna win, and actually I have no idea who I want to win because actually I like I like England more. Before Watch out, Manu, game. what you say? Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I like I like England. I said, before of the tournament, I like really England a lot because all of the amazing young players that, that they had. But during the tournament, I fell in love with with Italy too because they play like an incredible football. So for me, it's like actually a tough question. But to be honest, if I have to predict, I think that the reasons that Francesco gave uh, before, like this no pressure, win-win, I think that, I don't know, I'm going to say like 51-49 for for Italy. (laughs) Manu, don't say that. You're saying Italy then, Fra? Don't say that, Manu, come on. Uh, you cannot say that. It's uh, bad luck. So I'm got, I mean, there is no question about it, guys. It's coming home. It's in Wembley. It's in London. It's coming home. Home with H, not with the R, with the H. It's coming home. You should be scared, Francesco, because if you check like the predictions that they do in the tournament, I mean, they don't get anything. So ah, okay, okay. Win, they just, they just lose. So I'm, I'm going to put all my money on England. Good to know. Good to know. No, the, the only thing I want to say is that the, the only mismatch I see in the, in, the, in the game is Sterling against Emerson Palmieri. And I think that will be the key of the, of the game. But they're on the other the, side. The, the, the England will win. The England will win, of course. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be Saka up against Palmieri, surely, wouldn't it? If, yeah. Because uh, Sterling, Sterling plays on the left for England, so it'd be, it'd be Saka up against... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mismatch on the, on the, on the left. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. I want to say, I wanted to say the, uh, Sterling against the, the, the Lorenzo or, or whoever will play on the right, I wanted to say. And that will be key for 200%. Yeah. Lewis, from your unemotional standpoint on this game, who do you reckon is going to win? <laughs> I, watching these teams this, this last month, I can't see 
any result that's more than a goal either way. Like I, I can imagine a one nil win, a two one win for either team, extra time, not extra time. I I just can't I can't see two nil, I can't see three nil, three one. I I have no idea. I think whoever scores first will win. Am I allowed to get? Am I going to get away with that? Or I'm going yeah, to that's fine. That's, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, whoever scores first is going to win one nil. Well, two one. I'll play what? the role of the typical arrogant Englishman and say three nil England. Easy. <laughs> all right, all right. Let me know about the bank holiday you will have on Monday because yeah. I, I read it's already approved, so it's going to be a nice day for you on Monday, right? <laughs> national National Day of Mourning, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and we're assuming our German employers will also honour that agreement and let Lee and Lewis have the day off. If, if of uh, course, of course. No, no, but take it already because it's done so no worries about it <laughs> well that will do us for this episode of the One Football Podcast thanks to Lewis Fra, and Manu for joining me and thanks to everybody for listening we'll, we will be back with one final Euro 2020 podcast to review the final and the tournament as a whole on Monday so we hope you will join us for that until then enjoy the game and take care Euro 2020